Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So today I have with me Vanessa Bennett. She's been on the show before. She's amazing. Vanessa is a highly regarded and licensed holistic psychotherapist. She's a clinical entrepreneur, mental health content creator, and the author of the best-selling relationship book, It's Not Me, It's You. Um, She wrote that book with her partner, John. I think you might know him as the angry therapist. She brings an incredible wealth of information and expertise and her unique perspective on fostering healthy relationships and navigating codependency provide valuable insight to you guys. She brings it here. I love talking to Vanessa. We, every time we have a conversation, we feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> so um, in this episode, we're talking about um, codependence how it influences our behaviors and choices, why Vanessa and I both don't think this is a dirty word. This is an important word. It's important for us to understand our habits and behaviors, where they come from, um, because it's the only way we can actually heal them, right? So knowledge is power, my friends. I have so many other things to tell you, and I feel like... (laughs) I'm I'm so wrapped up in book stuff. Just a reminder, my book is available for pre-order right now. It doesn't come out until December 26th. I know that sounds like a weird date, but there's a reason for it, I promise. <laughs> um, but it comes out the day after Christmas. So, but pre-orders are really important. So if you like this podcast, um, if you like me. <laughs> If you feel like you've gotten a lot out of listening to me over the last months or years or whatever, and you feel like you want to do something nice for me, (laughs) please pre-order my book. It would be amazing. There are places to pre-order that are not Amazon. So if you are like, how can I pre-order this book when I can't like order that and put that in my Amazon cart, there are other places to order it. So it is available on like all other platforms uh, where you can purchase books, uh, many of which can be done anonymously, secretively. Um, You could buy a Visa gift card and then go and buy it on another one of those platforms. So it doesn't show up on your credit card statement. Anyway, I know that's a lot to ask, but I'm asking it because it matters. So anyway, So back to Vanessa, my dear friend and uh, colleague and someone I literally just, I, she inspires me. I learn from her. She's a smart, badass woman and I adore her. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Vanessa Bennett. 
Vanessa, thank you so much for coming back on to my so show. Glad. So glad to be here, Kate. <laughs> I want to start off with something that you and I hear all the time, which is mm-hmm. people that are like, mm, I don't, you know, I don't like using the word codependency. It's so shameful. It's so stigmatizing. Like, let's not, let's not use that word that it's, that it's like demoralizing to a woman or a victim or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I call bullshit. (laughs) There's my thoughts. This is why I love you. Okay. And to you, bye. (laughs) Um, Here's what. I don't think anybody says the same thing when we talk about somebody getting diagnoses of ADHD or of autism spectrum disorder or of bipolar, right? All these different things. Having a word, having a, a having language, mm-hmm. having a quote unquote diagnosis, even though I know that codependency is not in the DSM. The DSM I get that. Right? Sure. Mm-hmm. But having this language is very helpful right? Mm -hmm. Because it really does help us understand that it's not just us. Like we're not crazy, right? I'm not crazy. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you are a little crazy. We're all a little crazy, right? Right. I'm totally crazy. Yeah. I mean, same. So I call bullshit on that. Um, I also feel like the same people, and this is kind of a generalization, I'll own that, but I do feel like the same people that are saying that are also the same people who in other breaths are saying things like, it's not all about the patriarchy. We don't always have to say patriarchy. Uh, it's not, uh-huh. we're not a white supremacist culture. We don't always have to talk about that. Every problem we have is not because of capitalism. We don't have to talk about that. It tends to be, in my opinion, the same people who don't want to just call a fucking spade a spade, right? So like, let's just say I love you so much. I just need him. to interject. I love you so much. <laughs> we live in a patriarchal, capitalistic, white supremacist mm-hmm. world, right? Yes. And I yes. would add in there, wildly codependent. You cannot take any of those out of the sentence when you're talking about the society we live in. They all live in the same space. They're all interwoven. Without one, the others would crumble, right? Mm-hmm. And so- I think that even though codependency is something that we've always talked about more in like the mental health addiction realm, yeah, I think that's similar to things like white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, which also should be talked about within the realm of mental health. Yes. Right? They yes. all have to be talked about. Like it, yes. it's not about, oh, this is social and cultural. This is mental health. Like we know better now. It's all connected. You can't talk about the individual and not talk about the collective and the collective experience that we're having. Right. That's right. That's right. This is why I always say, like, you know, people are like, you shouldn't talk about politics on your, you know, I'm like, first of all, A, I can talk about whatever the fuck whatever I want. want. Right. And B, if I'm not talking about politics. I am not talking about the the systemic, like the things that we can do, the votes that we can cast to shift the very structures that are keeping us, you know, um, captive. Sick. Yeah. Sick. Sick. Yeah. That's no, right. You're right. I That's mean, right. I, I actually think that we do a disservice within the mental health community. We do a disservice to people by not understanding that it's all connected, right? That's now, right. listen, I'm more of the camp of like, we need to burn the whole thing to the ground. I don't think mm-hmm, a couple of mm-hmm. votes are going to save it. I think it all needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> like well, throw the baby out with the bathwater, please it, God. Yeah. Um, start from scratch, right? But, I, yeah. but you're right. Yeah. Like we can't not- I just don't want to have to, I just don't want to live through that. <laughs> like I get it. I mean, we are living, we are, we are living through it. We're in the midst And of it. we won't, right. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. And then I get terrified. 
So yes, if we don't name codependency, we're not actually naming the air that we're breathing, mm -hmm. the the elephant in every room. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said it's wildly codependent because I, you know, I, I was just writing a chapter in my book about this, and I was saying like, I don't know anybody who doesn't suffer from this because I it has its it has its roots in childhood trauma, and I don't know anybody certainly not in my generation, right? Who doesn't have some form of childhood trauma that would that would lend itself to this? It's rooted in childhood trauma. But again, I think you can't talk about childhood trauma without looking at the society we live in, right? So right. it's societal, right? And so yeah. everybody who lives in this society is going to experience the same thing. Again, it's like yeah. saying mm -hmm. that nobody, um, nobody experiences the fallout from white supremacy. Yes, we do. All of us do. It's just right. like saying that men suffer just as much under patriarchy as women do. They do, right? Of course they, they do. do. Mm -hmm. um, it is the air we breathe, to your point. So- it's rooted in childhood trauma, but we're all traumatized by nature of living in the kind of society we live in. Right. And so you can't separate them, right? I mean, my mother lived in the same society as her mother, as her mother, as her mother, right? And yeah. so uh -huh. all of these ways of parenting, uh, at least for the last 4,000 years, right, under, under kind of this more patriarchal structure, all of the ways of parenting that were passed down, that were passed down, that were passed down came from somewhere. Right? And they're all traumatizing. <laughs> Exactly. For the most part. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The the basics of codependency are if you're okay, I'm okay. And I think we've had this conversation before. But how do you see the like the roots of it? Yes, childhood trauma. Yes, the right. How does all of that turn it become codependent? Like, what do we mean when we say that? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that little pithy statement I always have, which is this like you said, if you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what ends up happening is we walk around relationally living external lives, right? So seeking external validation. We grow up in a society that teaches us that we should not and cannot listen to our internal voice, our internal self, right? So we learn very young to turn it down, turn it off, cut it off. And so instead we become very externalized, right? So we look to other people to tell us, are we good? Are we lovable? You know, to, to regulate us, right? And whether that's right. people, which is the more codependent way of doing things, or whether that's booze, or whether that's drugs, uh -huh. or whether that's porn, or whether that's just sex and love, right? They all right. serve the same purpose. Um, and really that is to self-regulate. That's to self-soothe in a world that we are not taught to do so. And we're taught very young to cut our relationship off from the self, right? Yes. And so what does that look like relationally? Well, it looks like, again, I have a really hard time self-soothing. I have a really hard time sitting with very normal, big emotions, right? And so I, I look to other things to make it better, make me feel better. I only view myself through the eyes of other people. So I have a really hard time like being with myself and knowing that I'm okay, I'm good, I've got me, right? For women, yes. a lot of times, especially not just women, but more so women, we are less than if we're not partnered. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm not good <laughs> unless I'm unless I'm with That's somebody, right. unless I've been chosen, right? It's yes. just seeking to be chosen. Uh-huh. I mean, uh -huh. it manifests in so many ways. So many ways. Mm -hmm. You know, the question that I get, you know, in my work being the, you know, helping women decide whether to stay or go, one of the biggest questions people ask me is like, but what if I'm alone forever? And right. is that the that's, worst thing? Right. Sounds that's what, I, and that's what I say. 
I love my partner, but that doesn't, that sounds like a vacation. I mean, I know I'm being kind of right. pithy, I, you know, I'm being a little no. offhanded with it, but yeah. I, I really do want to start challenging this narrative. Is that the worst Is thing? That, that's what I say. That's what I say. I'm like, and so what? And, and so, so what? what if you are? At the end of the day, you may, if if you really want to be partnered and you make that choice from a healthy, healed place, that's great. If you find someone who is now a benefit to your life. Yes. Yes. Um, but if you come to that place and you do that that healing work and you don't find someone, you're gonna be okay. Right. Because you've done be that better, work. better than okay. <laughs> better than okay. And that's that's what I say about, you know, myself. Like I'm I'm not partnered. And it's not because I can't find anybody. I mean, yeah, it is. It's because I can't find it. I have not met anyone yet who is a benefit to my life at this stage of it. Mm-hmm. That's a it's that's a it's like I want I want the partnership to be justified. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be a necessity. Right. 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 And so the work becomes how do I love myself well enough and know, I always talk about like the Sunday, right? Like I'm the Sunday mm-hmm. and Sundays are delicious, whether they have a cherry on top or not. That person I'm looking for to potentially be the cherry on top of the Sunday, but mm-hmm. I've eaten plenty of delicious Sundays that have no cherry, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm the Sunday, you're the cherry. I could take That's it right. or leave it, right? That's right. You might make it better, but you don't make it Amazing. You don't make it what it is. That Sunday is already the Sunday, right? And so um, that partnership that you're seeking should make it better and only better. That's yes. it. Now, I'm not saying Pollyanna, it's going to be amazing and beautiful and happy and rainbows and butterflies all the time, but that shit better make my Sunday better or I don't want it. That's right. That's right. And that's exactly why I'm still single. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, even the process of meeting of dating in Los Angeles, which, you know, where we both live is like a whole, is a whole thing mm-hmm. that really sours my, yes. my Sunday. Yeah. Right. So it's like, even that process, I'm like, ugh, I can't, I can't, I don't, this is not, this is not helping my life. Mm-hmm. This is not, this is not a cherry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hear that a lot too. Like a lot of my friends who are, you know, in their forties, late, you know, early fifties who are on the other side of divorce or separation and they are curious and they start dating and they say exactly what you're saying. I mean, it's funny too, because I guess one of my best friends who's like wildly introverted and we always laugh about this because I'm like, well, if you want a partner, he's not just going to show up at your front door and knock, you know, (laughs) like you got to listen. That's me. That's me. I'm like, are you? No. All right. I'm not. (laughs) She's like, she would be happy never leaving her house again, you know, And (laughs) and I'm an extrovert. So, so we've laughed about the fact that like, I could be single right now, walk into a coffee shop and leave with a boyfriend in five minutes. Like that's just my personality because I'm like always open to like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. What's your life story? Oh like God. I'm out there, you know, <laughs> right. and it's oh not work God, no. for me. It's easy for me. And right. so I also do have to acknowledge that there are just different personality types. It's harder for some people than it is for others. Um, yeah. And that's a thing, <laughs> you know? I mean, a hundred percent. I The idea of walking into a coffee shop and like, like I walk into a coffee sh- coffee shop and I may look around and be like, "Is a a a guy gotta go?" <laughs> That's right. her. Like, yeah, that is her. Yeah. Oh my, it makes me crazy. We'll be out together and I'm like looking for her, and uh-huh. she's facing her phone and I'm like, "Look up!" Like there was like <laughs> six hot guys just walk by and you are buried in your phone. You're missing it. She makes me crazy. 
I'm like, I can't do all the work for you. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out. When we meet for coffee, I'll I'm, be your I'll, I will I will not put my face in my phone. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Oh my God. Awesome. So yeah. So this idea that like being alone is not the, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you, and so, okay. Like we talk about that. And I think that for women who are in this space of like, I, but I feel that, right. I feel yeah. that. Sure. What is the work to get to that place? What do we do to get to the point where we have that sense of self, that self identity um, that you're talking about? You know, I think it's twofold, maybe threefold, like work that goes on in parallel. And so, number one, I would say it's sitting with ourselves. Mm. Ew. It's, yeah. I mean, that's right? why most yeah. people don't do it, right? Yeah, it's sitting right. with ourselves, it's yeah. feeling things like loneliness. Mm-hmm. And longing mm-hmm. and regret and grief and sadness and all of these feelings that we don't want to feel. Yeah. Thus, the list of things external that I listed earlier, right? That we right. reach for to not have right. to feel them, which includes people. Uh-huh. We sit with those feelings and we feel them to the depths of our core. And then we make it out the other side and we realize that feeling lonely doesn't kill us. Now, listen, that is an aside from loneliness as a thing right now that we've realized through research post-pandemic is actually killing people. And that's what I want to speak to as far as like my second thing. Okay. But I do think step one is feeling the damn feelings and recognizing your own personal patterns in what do you reach for when you don't want to feel the feelings. Mm, Starting mm-hmm. to get very intimately familiar with your internal landscape, your internal world, the way that you process things, and starting to notice what happens for you when you start to feel icky feelings. What do you go for? What do you reach mm-hmm. for? Do you reach for your phone? Do you reach for Netflix? Do you reach for another person, sex, like whatever it is, right? Drinks, Date, whatever. Dateline. Dateline. <laughs> yeah. Murder <laughs> mysteries, right? Murder. Murder. Um, <laughs> What does that that's say about me? One. I know. Well, <laughs> you and most women, actually. That's like a yeah, thing. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's number one. Now, again, like I said, twofold. The, the second thing I want to say is I don't want to minimize the kind of um, catastrophic effects that loneliness has on us as people, right? And is continuing yeah. to have and it's growing. Right. And that's a very real thing. But that loneliness, the solution, air quotes, because it's a big solution, but the solution is not just I need to be in an intimate relation, uh, romantic relationship. It's I need to have more close intimate relationships, plural. Mm-hmm. We live in this hyper individualistic, this rugged individualism type, you know, Marlboro man archetype culture. <laughs> we are feeling the fallouts of yeah. that, right? Yeah. Of right. that bullshit that we were that we were kind of served up. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to live that way. We are collectivistic people. Right. And then we add the pandemic that just sort of like and that was kind of like the the isolated. Cooker, right. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's not that people weren't feeling lonely, but that was the pressure cooker. That was the thing that really like the top blew off. Right. right. But I don't think the solution to that kind of loneliness is just, oh, I I have to date somebody. It's like, no, no, no. You got to look at how do we live our lives? I mean, this is a societal thing, right? Like we are very right. cut off. Even like the the suburb move in the 50s to the nuclear family. I mean, that is part of the problem, right? We're not meant uh, to- Oh, uh-huh, right. We're, villi- yes. we're village creatures, right? That's right. Yeah, I, 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 call, 
the white the white picket fences jail bars right exactly like, yeah exactly like, who's your mm-hmm. village where's your village you got to build your village right and if you realize you don't have a village like that is part of that work so i think that's kind of like when i say the two prong it's like sitting with the loneliness but also how do i get in there and change the fact that i'm lonely without thinking that the only solution is like to find a man right 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 and that's really difficult i will say in particular for uh for single women Mm-hmm. And for right? introverts. <laughs> and for introverts. Right. Yep. Exactly. Right. And because I, I know as an introvert, I have the I have the the need and the desire, right? That like the primal need for community and all of that. Then I really need to go home. And I also like don't want to be the one to have to organize it and be do all the inviting. Right. And so this is something that I find as a single person mm. is that I don't get invited to all the barbecues. I don't like there's a whole family and couples Mm -hmm. community thing that happens that when you're single, you don't get invited to. I think single men get invited far more because everyone's like, oh no, he's so lonely and we have to take care of him. Right. (laughs) Collectively. Right. Yeah. Right. For women, divorced women in particular, I think there's a, we, there is like a, it's not a shunning, right. But it can feel like it. It can feel like it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've heard my friends speak about this too, who are single. It's like this, oh my God, I'm just laughing because the image that just came into my mind is uh, there's a Sex in the City episode where they talk about this. Like the like the single women are like the pariahs, right? Like they don't want 100%. them around their married friends. And she's like, what do you think I'm going to do, right? Like you right. think I want to have sex with your husband? Like that's right. So I'm just thinking like, about that episode. Literally, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like that just popped up. But yeah, I think that it's unfortunate. I think you do have to be very particular about the people that you do call your friends. I mean, I know that I have lots of single female friends and they come, I invite them to all the things, whether it's couples, families, them. I don't, I don't care. I don't see it that way. So I think maybe number one, it's like, who am I actually considering as part of my inner circle? And if Mm -hmm, I realize that they're mm -hmm. never me inviting, they're never inviting me out and I'm the one that's got to do all the work. Well, then maybe it's time to rethink the friendship, right? Like our relationships should have kind of yearly improvement meetings, right? Like PIPs, if anybody's in corporate out there, a little, you know, performance improvement plan. Right. (laughs) Yeah, evals. And I think sometimes these friendships, as we grow, it's like, it's not meeting the standard. Okay. Well, what am I holding on to then? Right. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, also find an extrovert and let us adopt you. We are, we are the planners and it's, it's, that's a thing, right? They say that with introverts, yes. like just an extrovert found me and adopted me as their friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And make sure it's somebody who's healthy, right? I think that, um, I'm just thinking of like a friendship that I had for a long time with an extrovert who did all the planning and it was great. Like I was like, we, I'll get, you know, mm-hmm. I'll go along with I'll everything come. you do until I realized that there was also a control element. There totally. was a toxicity element. There was a, right. It was not actually healthy for me. Well, that's, that's the evaluation, right? Like I think we need uh-huh. to get better at right. evaluating all relationships, whether it's romantic, friend, familial, I don't care what it is. Right. I think every relationship needs to be continually evaluated because we all grow, we all evolve, we all change. It's it can be a no-fault zone. If a relationship is just no longer in alignment with you, then okay, then that's okay. It doesn't have right. to be some big breakup, right? Even romantically, uh-huh. it doesn't have to yeah. be some big thing. Like, can we just get better at saying um, it's nobody's fault? We've just grown out of each other. I love you. I want the best for you. And then send each other on our way. You know? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if there? And then you know, at the res, the response is ego, right? It's also it, you know shock, whatever, all of the things, right? We have feelings. You can have feelings about mm-hmm. it, totally. While also saying 
shit, okay. I, you know, if this isn't working for you, mm-hmm. then it isn't working for me. Exactly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's oh, it. Oh God. So yeah. Um, so all right. So this, so this two-pronged approach of like dig being sitting with your feelings. Um, and then looking and then also finding community, right? And this is and this is sort of how we you know, I guess the original question was, how do we work with this codependency? How do we, how do we start to heal this? How do we, how do we now? I mean, do you think that we ever become not codependent? Like, is that something that we get to erase from ourselves? Is that something that like, yeah. What are you, I don't, what think, are we erase, I don't think we erase anything to be honest. I yeah. think that um, it's more about like integration. It's more about, uh, having a different relationship with parts of ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, it's kind of like saying, do we think at least in this lifetime that we're going to see the end of white supremacy? Like, of course not, you know, it's probably never going to happen and not in my life anyway, unfortunately, but I think we can learn to have a different relationship with it. I mean, shit, I've been doing codependency recovery work for close to 15 years personally, and I still struggle, Yeah, but the struggling has gotten less intense. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. It has gotten more manageable. Mm-hmm. I'm way quicker to call myself out on my bullshit. I'm way quicker to see the patterns, maybe right. sometimes even before I slip into them. Right. Uh-huh. But do the do yeah. the feelings, do the the does the discomfort, does the um yeah, like that discomfort in my skin, does that not happen? No, it still happens. But whereas it used to be very unconscious, right? The the icky feeling happens. I do the thing, the codependent thing to try to soothe that icky feeling they were coupled. I mean, there was no beat in between them at all. Right Now right, right. the icky feeling still happens, but I've done enough work where I have a pause where I can really sit in it and go, do I need to act on this? If I do, what does that action look like? What would be in service of myself and my kind of greater health versus going down a path I know too much about and I don't want to go keep going down. So mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that's what happens, right? Is like, right. we just get more familiar. We also beat ourselves up less for it. Yes. Like I take it a lot less seriously now. I laugh at myself more now. Like, oh, what I want to do right now is have sex with you in this moment, partner, because I think it'll make the relationship more copacetic. You'll be in a better mood. It'll take the pressure off because it's what I should do. Mm -hmm. By the way, for all you women listening out there who are partnered or who want to be partnered, having sex in a relationship when you don't really feel like it, but you do it because you think you have to to keep the relationship is codependent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. That's something I've struggled with, right? That's what even still one of my big ones that comes up. Do I want to do this or am I doing this because it's what he wants and I think it'll make it better right now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Pause, question, sit with it, and then potentially, not always, but potentially do the hard thing. And the response from your partner should be, oh my God, okay, right? Bummer, mm-hmm. <laughs> bummer but I don't want you having sex you don't want to have. Sure. Consciously. I mean, we've had those conversations. He will mm-hmm. actually verbatim say those things, Uh huh. but unconsciously, does he want me to make him feel better? Of course he does. Right. Because he's just right. as codependent on me as I am on him. Yeah. It it's not a one-way street. Right. We're all yeah. codependent, right? It, is, all... it takes two, two to tango. That's right. That's so right. he's also using me mm-hmm. to suit himself. Right. So when I say no... I don't want you. I know what's happening. I'm not interested in this right now. And I know you're trying to use my body to make yourself feel better. I don't want to do that. 
right? And however way I communicate that, hopefully a lot softer than that. <laughs> he has to then sit with his own icky feelings. Right. 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 And say, I feel some sort of way and she's not making it better. So how do I make it better for myself? Yes. So I'm right. kind of forcing him also in that way to look at his own bullshit. Right. And the way that looks in more toxic relationships is it's your fault. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're, you, you should know, it, be doing this. Yeah. Right. It's outward. It's the outward manifestation of whatever that feeling is, right? Yep. Then it's your fault and it's blame and shame. If you loved me, you would do X, Y, Z, right? You're my wife. You, I just, you know, it's your duty. <laughs> Hello, patriarchy. Twitch, twitch. I twitch on yeah. that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not my yeah. duty actually to do anything because I'm your wife other than love myself and be as authentic as I can be, which That's is right. actually in service of you and mm-hmm. of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm doing something for you at the expense of myself, what I'm actually giving you is a lot of resentment and potentially hatred. That's not very loving. Right. So I would actually, I'd really call out my act of loving because it's not, it's not loving at all. No, it's not. It's not. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Wait, that's me. I know I have a lot of podcast episodes for you to get through, and it can be really, really overwhelming to try and figure out where to start or to comb through which ones might be uh, appropriate for you, whether you're trying to decide whether to stay or go, or you're already on the other side of the divorce process. Like, how do you know what to listen to? I have solved the problem for you. All you have to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist. Answer a few short questions, and I will send you a curated list of podcast episodes to best support you as you navigate these tricky waters. I'll also help you identify where you currently stand on this journey and what's ahead with resources to help you move through this process with knowledge and grace. So all you need to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and you will have your curated list of podcast episodes that will support you wherever you are in your journey. And now back to our show. And I know that a lot of my listeners are in these in very toxic, abusive relationships where I think the level of communication, um, authenticity, uh, self-reflection, um, lack of ego that you're talking about is like completely fo- like a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near um, what's present in their in their marriages or and in themselves. This right? is why I say partnering when justified. I mean, listen, I, I, it's yeah. not pop. It's not a popular opinion. I get mm-hmm. a lot of shit when I talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not that easy. We have kids. I can't just leave. Um, barring the very extreme versions and examples of relationships where that's actually the case, right? So we're yeah. talking about abusive situations, yep. financial abuse, threat mm-hmm. of physical yep. abuse, emotional abuse, right? Barring yep. those, which are real. Mm-hmm. Yep. My question is always, why? Right. Why not? Tell me why not. I, I just like to know. I don't know. I think it's pretty simple. I, I think that's a that's yeah. something Al-Anon really taught me, right? It's not easy, but it is simple. I tell the story in my book actually about like one of like in my first year of Al-Anon, and this is going back 25 years, my very first year. And I was pretty sure that my boyfriend at the time, who is now my ex-husband, was cheating on me. 
Now I know he probably was, by the way, but that's a whole other story. But I was, I was not okay. I mean, like so far beyond okay, it was panic. It was like I was going to die. Yes. I shared about it in a meeting and this guy came up to me afterwards and he was like, so what if he, what if he does, like, what if he is cheating? He was a little like abrasive and not very communicative and all of those things. Right. But he was like, so what if he is? And I was like, excuse me, if he is like, what the, what are you talking about? And he's like, really? What if, so what if he is? Play the tape out. So what if he is? I couldn't, I could not play the tape beyond I I will die. And I hated that man. I was so angry at him for a few years until I finally, you know, as we do the work. And and I will say that I think Al-Anon is one of the best places to do this work. You know, as it as the work sort of washed over me and as I as I grew in this way, I really was. It was like, oh right, I am totally okay. Mm-hmm. If that's if that's doesn't mean I'm not going to have feelings about it. Of course, we can separate the two. The feelings right. are going to be there, but it doesn't mean you're going to die. I'm not going to die. And that's the thing. I mean, listen, I don't want to minimize the very real wiring uh-huh. that goes on to, like, if this isn't just societal, this there is a wiring, there's an attachment wiring component to this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is when we are babies, if our primary attachment figure goes away, we die. Mm-hmm. And we uh-huh. know that. Right from birth, we know that. Right, it is the biggest existential threat to our existence. Right, it's our it's our biggest anxiety as human beings. And so, what happens is we grow up, we become primarily attached to somebody else, and many times that's in our romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. And those same existential attachment wounds get activated now by another person. And so, it very much does feel like I will die. If this partner and I are no longer together, if this person leaves, if I leave, whatever the thing, right? And that feels very real, but it's not because now we are grownups and we've got us. And so then that's where that two-prong approach to, I have to learn to sit with myself and soothe and come back to myself and know that I've got me and practice working through all of these codependent behaviors I've got going on. Because what happens is every time, like, let's just say boundaries. It's like, I'm the kind of person who comes in. I'm horrible with boundaries. I always say yes when I want to say no, right? Okay, great. Something to work with. I'm sure it's not the only codependent behavior you've got, but let's... let's, (laughs) We'll start that. Right. Start with that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every time you do the hard thing, every time you say no when you want to say it or say, yeah, say no when you want to say yes, Um, right? Or say yes when you want to say no. Yeah. Either way. When you do the thing you want to do, not the thing you think you got to do. There you go. Uh, Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh You are laying a brick on the foundation of that sense of self. That's right. right. You're teaching the self that I can listen to you. I can trust you. I respect you. I revere you. I've got you. Mm-hmm. To and the so, self, not to, to the, the other. Self. Not capital to the S. other, to the capital self, S. capital S. Right. Self. Yes. Right. And so right. it seems like a quote unquote micro moment. I call them micro moments because in passing, it might not feel like a big deal. I'm on the phone with my friend or my mom and they say, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And it feels overwhelming for me. And I want to say no. And I say no. Right. It's not actually, even though it feels like a micro moment, it's a big deal. It is a foundational brick on this sense of self. And that sense of self, it's what's going to get you through on the other side of a relationship that has expired of a, I choose me instead of choosing this toxicity. Right. So all of this work kind of goes hand in hand. Right. 
Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. I love that you said that about the, I like the, the, the idea of like a foundational brick. I always, you know, I, I always talk about neural pathways and how it's like, you know, it's like, ultimately it's a rope, but like we're, we're laying it like one fiber at a time. And each time we lay a new fiber in the same, the same direction, right? From A to B, it's weak, right? The more fibers, the more times we do that, the stronger that rope, the stronger the rope. And the bricks and the foundation, same, you know, same concept, right? This is how we strengthen that. And the reward of, oh my God, I feel so much better about myself or I'm not exhausted, right? And at first, the, at first the response is like, oh God, like I pissed them off. Did I, but knowing that you're not betraying yourself. Yeah. It's self-abandonment. Right. Yeah. 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 And and by the way, when that feeling comes up, because it will of guilt and oh no, and I made them mad at me and what what's gonna happen, that is when the process of sitting with yourself, the practice mm-hmm. of sitting with yourself comes into play. Yeah. What do I want to do right now? I want to call them and fix it and apologize and make it better. Okay, well, I'm not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna feel waves of discomfort, waves of abandonment fear come up. Because that's all it is. Right. That's all it is, not to minimize it, but that's all it is, as in that's what it is. That's the crux of it. It's my mm-hmm. fear of abandonment being activated. Right. right. And I'm going to feel it the stomach knots, the butterflies, the tension, the jaws clenched, the shoulders are hung. I mean, literally feel all the feelings. Right. You work a lot with, you know, Buddhist principles and yoga and mindfulness meditation, right? And that's, that is the, access right mm. to those feelings. Can you talk a little bit about those and how that how that informs this, right? Because I think so many of us it's like, well, I don't know how to sit in those feelings like I turn on dateline or I, you know, or I drink or I whatever I shop, I have sex, right? And then um you take away those things and we're asking people to just be I, like I think that I know for me in the beginning of this, you know, this journey um, I, I was so, I was so squirrely. I didn't know what to do. Right. And so, and I didn't, and I wasn't taught, like, we weren't talking about mindfulness, you know, as broadly 25 years ago when I, you know, first started my codependency recovery journey. Mm-hmm. So how can you talk about those principles and how they play into your work? Yeah. I mean, I think that mindfulness as a muscle, as a practice is kind of the crux for any self-development, any, you know, work on this kind of path of individuation, because I mean, it's a component to self-awareness, right? So Mm -hmm. um, it's foundational. Uh, I hire a lot of people will say to me, oh, but it's, it's exhausting. Like mindfulness is exhausting. It's like, well, no, it's not. What's exhausting is your mind. What's exhausting (laughs) is the thoughts that don't ever stop, right? Until you become mindfully aware of them and can start to actually get in there and change some of that. Um, I think sometimes we're scared of it because I think we're scared of what it's going to teach us about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean it it is it's a muscle, I will say. It's something that needs to be continually worked on. You know, you would never go to the gym one time and expect to leave with rock hard abs. I mean, that would be nice, but that's not Wouldn't true. That be great? reality. <laughs> right? great. So mindfulness is the same way, you know. This is why this practice of every day being mindful, you know, checking in what's going on in my body. Um, it's, it's imperative to continuing to do this work. So 
meditation, you know, people think, oh, it's like being a monk and sitting in lotus position on a cushion for, you know, an hour a day. And it doesn't have to be like that. A lot of times when I teach, specifically teach mindfulness techniques and and kind of, uh, you know, healing modality as a healing modality, I always say, find one thing that you do every day, one Mm -hmm. mundane thing that you do every day, doing the dishes, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, uh, driving to work, right? Whatever the thing is that you know you do every day, pick one. Mm-hmm. Every day for this entire week, I want that to be your meditation. So what do I mean by that? Let's say brushing mm-hmm. my teeth, right? Okay. For the three minutes that I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to pay attention when I open the cap of the toothpaste to the smell of the peppermint. I'm going to notice the color of it as I put it onto the toothbrush. I'm going to notice the sensation of the feeling of water and foam as I start to brush it on my teeth. I'm going to feel the cold tingly sensation that the peppermint kind of creates in my mouth. I'm going to notice, well, now my mind is thinking about that meeting I've got at nine o'clock, noted, thinking, come back to the sensation of the peppermint. Now I'm going to pay attention to the foam in my mouth and how I have to spit and the saliva. Okay. Notice that, right? And you just keep coming back to it. And it's not, there's no shame in your mind wandering. Our minds think it's what they do, right? Right. It's just about noticing it wherever you notice it. Shit. You might be thinking for a minute, a solid minute about that meeting before you notice that you're thinking, okay, thinking, got it. Come back to the feeling of the, of the toothbrush, right? Um, right. And that's it. You've done that for three minutes. That's your meditation. That's you strengthening your mindful muscle for the day, right? So do toothbrushing every teeth brushing every single day that week. Okay, next week, pick something else, making your bed, or, you know, doing the dishes, whatever. But know that just like the gym, you've got to work it out. The the stronger that met that muscle gets, the the quicker and the easier it's going to be for you to be like, oh, like I'm in conflict with somebody right now, and I feel hot. And I feel uncomfortable and my stomach is knotted and I can feel myself shutting down. I can feel myself dissociating. I'm leaving my body. I'm, my eyes are diverted. I'm com- I'm like crossing my arms. I'm going in on myself. I'm noticing my racing thoughts. That stuff that then shows up relationally is super helpful, but you got to have a foundation. And that's where that muscle comes into play, right? Like working out that muscle. That's so great. That's so helpful, I think, right? And I love the idea that we don't have to sit in meditation in lotus position for an hour every single day or even five minutes, right? It is actually weaving it into the process of something that we're already doing. And again, like you said, it's it's building that building that foundational structure um, so that when we're in these bigger, more heightened moments, we have the access yes. to, oh, how do I actually feel in this moment? Yes. Right. Because we do. And I think those of my, you know, listeners who are in abusive relationships, it, you know, and there are a lot of them, part of what happens is that we dissociate. That's mm-hmm. we have to, right? We have to. That's the self pre- self-preservation. But the more that we're actually becoming present to how this actually makes us feel, the more we recognize that you know, maybe there might be avenues out, right? And again, do those safely, have a safety plan, work with me, we'll figure it out. Um, Make sure you, you know, deal with, work on this with somebody who is trained as a domestic violence um, victim's advocate. But coming back to that sense of self is, is the most important work you can do. I mean, I would say we we learn to dissociate when you say we have to, we had to, I would say mm-hmm. past tense. Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. Right. We yes. had to for survival at some point in our life. It's where we learned the skill of right. dissociating. Like, mm-hmm. thank God our psyche has this innate capability, 
right, to protect us. Um, but what happens is that skill that we learned most likely in childhood mm-hmm. continues to be a very strengthened muscle that we then rely on over and over again in our adult relationships. And yeah. once we start to do some of this work and we start to say, I'm not going to pull that tool out of the toolbox anymore. Instead, I'm going to be with it. I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to notice what's going on. I'm going to track it. I'm going to um, journal. I'm going to whatever the thing is, right? And I start to not be able to not pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on. Yeah, It becomes harder and harder to convince myself to rationalize the self-abandoning behavior because yeah. It's like once you see, you can't unsee. Once you know, right. you can't unknow. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, and and you know, that's that's a process. And for some people, it takes a really long time. Uh, yeah. some of us have way more layers of that to unpack. And I totally get that. It is one of those, I, I'm trying to think of the exact quote. I always butcher it, but it's it's this quote where it's like, uh, once the pain of God, I'm so bad with quotes, once the pain or the discomfort of like staying where you are is is like it's basically more painful. Yes. Then like right. the idea of leaving, right? Right. Right. Or the idea exactly. of changing it. Like yeah. that, it's that mm-hmm. crux. It's that crossroads where yes. things start to change. That's right. That's right. And it, yeah, I talk about that with addiction, right? Like mm-hmm. once once the the shame or the pain or the impact of the addiction yeah. becomes greater than the like what's on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the pain of whatever it is that you're covering up. Yes. That's the discomfort like, that I'm soothing, right? Through right. the booze. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, or whatever the mm-hmm. addiction is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love talking about this stuff with you, Vanessa. You're so it's I, I just love your take on it. And it's I think it's really helpful and important to, you know, sort of unpack like what is codependence like and like because we talk about all these things, but like, what does it really mean? Right. Yeah. And so uh, you have such a great take on it. And I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you having me back on. This is always fun. Um, yeah. yeah. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not for everyone, just like we're none of us are for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I can be a little cut and dry with this stuff. I've been told, I mean, partly I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> right. That's right. That's why you we know? get along. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> And I get it works that. For me. And there yeah. are softer, there are softer people out there. And it's not for lack of empathy. It's just the way that I deliver things. And and I I think that sometimes though we need a little bit of like a, as I've yes. been called, the cold water in the face therapist. Yeah, right. <laughs> we need a I little love bit that, of that. Though. No, I love that. I love that. It's like here's the mirror. Are you gonna are you gonna look? Are you gonna look? No. Okay. And right? if you're not, that's fine. I mean, that's where you're at on your journey. And my codependency work. I'm not here to drag you on that journey. Your journey is your journey. I'm not God. I don't get to decide that you, whether you get to keep your suffering or not, that's for you to decide on your own journey. I mean, every one of us as a spiritual being has our own path. And I don't know your path anymore, actually, I would say than you do really at any given moment. It's not for me to decide. And so all I can do is continue to kind of show up and and give information and experience as being a clinician and working with clients. And then you get to do with it what you will. That's right. I mean, I think that's a gift, right? That's like a gentle, like, cause there are so, there are many clinicians, as we know, who will sort of force their agenda onto you. And that's not safe. Mm-mm. That's not okay. It has to be you, you and your journey and your exploration and your willingness and openness. Well, it's not authentic, change. right? I mean, yeah, I would right. say the same yeah. for if I'm in a codependent right. relationship with somebody who has an addiction. Uh huh. It's got to come from them. 
the change can't come from me and it can't be for me because otherwise it's not authentic. It's got nothing to stand on and it's going to crumble as quick as it was quote unquote built. That's not, it's, it's got to come from within. Right. And this is so much of the conversation around codependency and why it's like, you're not God. You got to back off and let people decide what their life looks like. Even if they decide that that's death, that's their choice. Yeah. And that's a, that's so hard for people in relationship with addicts. I mean, that's a whole other episode we we could probably do. Um, Personal experience on that one too. Right. I mean, that's, that's same girl. Right. (laughs) That's Yeah, exactly. Where can everybody find you and follow you? You're, you have so much amazing content on Instagram and TikTok and so the places, yeah, all the places. I'm I'm a busy gal. Um, Uh So Instagram is Vanessa S. Bennett. Uh, TikTok is the Cody Yoda. I have a private online community where I do weekly process groups around codependency recovery. Um, so that's that's available as a tool. I, it's funny how many therapists actually send their individual clients to me to do the group work while they're in individual therapy, which I love. That's actually, great. I have a podcast, Cheaper Than Therapy. I have a book. It's not me. It's you. Yes, which <laughs> we know. have talked have about. We talked about on the podcast. Yep. Yes, my bio link is chock full, so I do a lot of retreats, all the things. Awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody go check out Vanessa. If you don't already follow her, do it because as you can tell, the information is absolutely invaluable. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.